We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Uh, Today we're jumping into the third week uh, of this series um, that we are calling Different from the book of 1 Peter. And um, like I did a couple weeks ago, I want you to kind of get a little bit of a background about uh, where this is coming from. And, And Peter just tells us, uh, in the at the end of the letter versus what most letters are at the very beginning the purpose is found uh, at the end in first Peter chapter 5 verse 12 he says my purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you and he says stand firm in grace it, it doesn't it doesn't tell us to, to to stand firm anywhere else but in the grace that's been given to us and uh, as, as we think about what Peter writes and, and what Peter has unfolded, we, we go back and we see uh, a couple of different things. Um, number one being faith throughout the passages that, uh, that Peter writes. And our mindset's changing. And we dealt with that uh, a little bit more in depth over uh, a three-week series we did right before this series. And then Peter gets to the point very early in his letter and just in 1 Peter 1.13 he says, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so there's an internal action that takes place within each one of us. And then he gets to the external factor that is a part of that internal action in chapter 4. And he tells, he tells us, As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another. If you don't believe that the gift you've been given is absolutely for the benefit of everybody else, you miss the whole purpose of what Jesus came to do. And so Peter reminds us that the grace that we are supposed to live in is a grace that's been given to us, not just so we can hoard it, hide it, and keep it to ourselves, but it's so that we can give it away to other people. And I, I love, uh, if you didn't notice and you haven't been with us over the course of three years, uh, what you experienced at the beginning of service where you had two people up here singing with a track playing, that's what we experienced for almost two and, almost two and a half full years of the life of this church. And it didn't matter that there wasn't any musicians playing. It mattered that people were giving back their gifts to the Lord. And people were still coming to know Jesus. And people were still desiring to go deeper in their walk. And don't hear what I'm not saying. We're blessed to have what we have in this place, especially over these last several months where God has begun to put pieces together of what you see now. And we're blessed to have Landon in the house this morning uh, to, to supplement that and to, to help us celebrate. You, I don't... I call it a birthday. A lot of people say anniversary. I didn't marry this church. We birthed this sucker. And I think it's a little bit more difficult than than the other way around. But uh, happy birthday. That includes every one of you, whether you've been a part of this church for a few months, whether you're here for the first time, whether you've been here from the very beginning when we were just talking about this nearly four years ago. Um, it's, it's a blessing to be able to continue in this. And as we uh, are looking at what Peter talks about to the church, it's so vital for us to grasp what he's trying to say to us because we are entering into a season of our own culture where it's becoming more and more and more anti-biblical. It's becoming more secular, it's becoming more humanistic, and that's not the biblical narrative that we believe. 
And so when we talk about faith and we talk about our mindsets, the next thing that comes out of that is what we're going to look at today is that we have to have a set of values in an ungodly culture because we can't continue to live and be different in a culture that we look just like. If our families look the same, if our issues are the same, then it begs the question, are we really different? And so when we think about what it means to have values in an unholy culture, it's not, it's not exactly what you think it is. Because here's what we know about the total narrative from Old Testament to New Testament. Is that all of it points to Jesus. Whether anybody wants to refute that, argue that or not, you can go back and you can see all along the way where God, even from creation, is prophesying that Jesus is going to come. That He's going to put an end to all of this suffering, all of these issues, all of the sin that we constantly find ourselves in, because that's where it's rooted. Every disease that we face is rooted in sin. It's because we chose in the beginning to go against God's way. And then we try to fix it with the world's way, and it's not going to change anything. You see it throughout, the, even, even the, what's known as the church, Israel, the chosen nation, what were they trying to do when you see all these laws and all of us, and nowadays we're like, man, we can't, I can't measure up to that. You can't. But you know what their heart was? It was to protect people. They put all of these laws, go back and look at Levitical laws and everything, that, that God would give them a clear set of laws to put for his people and they would add all of this stuff and you would look at it and say there's no way I can do that and their mindset was we're trying to help the people to do right the problem is is that we in and of ourselves can't do right and so in order to have values in an unholy culture you've got to start with a faith in a holy God and if we don't start grounded there where we talked about two weeks ago and our minds are not being transformed and, and our, our gifting is not being used, then values don't matter. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We can teach our kids to honor their father and mother and leave Jesus out of the equation. And we've made ourselves an idol. And it misses the point altogether. The point's not us. The point has always been and will always be Jesus. And if our lives are not a reflection of that, then we miss it. So when we think about that, we go back to the very beginning of, of 1 Peter chapter 1, and this is in verses 13 through 14. Uh, it says this. It says, Therefore prepare your minds for action. And here's that first thing about, about values in an unholy culture. It says, Be self-controlled. We have gotten to a point where we do not believe that we have the ability to control our thoughts. We do not have the ability to control our actions. We do not have the ability to control our mouths. Like it's a it's a funny joke. Like you know, I got a good heart, but bless this mouth. Like it doesn't work that way. Like you can't have this and and this not be tamed because you're not being self-controlled. If 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 you're missing that, we go back to faith and we go back to mindset. Then we can get back to values. And it says, be self-controlled. He says, here's how we're going to do it. You're going to set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Guess what, church? He's already been revealed. This is not second coming speech. This is when Jesus Christ became the personal Lord and Savior of your life. This is where the mechanism for self-control comes. This is where we have the ability to implement holy God 
honoring values into our lives that are not just a set of rules and standards that we hold ourselves and our family to, but it actually is biblically, spiritually grounded in a firm, fervent, joy-filled relationship with Christ. And it makes everything in our lives so much more different. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. I love that because... Like, you know, we're, we're the group that always gets called hypocritical and stuff. He's like, everybody that's not in Christ that lives that way, they're ignorant. There's a little bit of boldness to that. Like, I don't, I don't think you need to walk up to people that you believe are not saved and just call them ignorant. But I think that there is a, an understanding that we've got to have. Is like, we realize something. That some of the lifestyles that we've led before Christ, and we look back now and we say, thank you God for saving me from that. Because there was some ignorance there. There was some absolute stupidity of mind and heart. And we recognize it and we make it personal. And he says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now I love this, and I want to spend most of our time on this. He says, Be holy because I am holy. Here's the deal. You're not going to be able to, to... become holy you have to be you have to project holiness it says be holy because i am holy don't be holy because you have the ability in yourself be holy because who's holy because christ is holy do you see what he's saying there that i am statement is the same i am statement that you see throughout jesus speaking and you see in revelation when jesus is prepared to come back i am i am i am we are not We have to put our trust in I am so that we can project holiness. And so it starts with that foundational, fervent relationship with Jesus. I I, I, I try to be simplistic in my thinking sometimes because I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And so I took it back to like elementary school. Now in elementary school when I was growing up, kickball was a big thing at recess. Any of you play kickball? All right. Some of you got what? You smelling what I'm stepping in. I, I like that. But at recess, when it was time to play kickball, you know, you knew when it was time to go outside. And right before that, you were in the classroom and you were making decisions on who was going to be captain. And you're like, all right, I'm going to be captain. You got first pick, though. And then when you run down the hill or however you got to recess, everybody's lined up over there and the two captains are starting to pick. And so you, see, you stand there in that line and you're like, man, I don't want to get picked last. Please don't pick me last. And you stand there, and you stand there, and you know if you, you know, some of you are already kind of poking chest. I like, I could kick a home run every time. So they always pick me first. I could peg a girl when she took off towards first base. So they, I know they're gonna pick me first. But here's the thing: like you have, you have very little to do with who picks you and why they pick you. We have very little to do with why Jesus has chosen us. It's not anything in us that causes us for Him to love us. It's just simply because we are. Like, think about that for a minute. You could be the kid that stood there, and I was that kid sometimes, that stood there last and waited, and the last person said, well, I guess I got Michael. It did, but look, you're like, whoo, I got picked. But that, that's the principle that, that Peter is writing in this when we talk about that. We've been chosen we're a royal priesthood we've been set apart we are now different we are called to be holy because the team captain that picked me is holy not because i'm already there 
And so we take on a new identity. And so what I really want to look at this morning, and I ask this question up front, is when you ask yourself this, do I look like my current location or my eternal destination? Do I look like my current location or my eternal destination? There's a, there's a vast difference in the way people of God should look, should carry themselves, should conduct their business. Do I look like my current destination or my eternal destination? Now, if you answer that question and you say, man, this sucks already, like this is bad, there's still hope because he's not done. You're still here. There's still time. There's still an opportunity. There's still change that can take place. There's still a, an opportunity for you to make a decision to be set apart, to start living a holy lifestyle. But you can't do it without the relationship first. It says uh, in, in Ephesians 5, Paul writes very similarly. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. What's so beautiful about it is that Jesus gave us a full picture of what it means to take on the traits and the characteristics of God because He was God and then gave us an earthly vessel to follow. And say, this. Jesus just said, do what I do, do what I say. Paul even took up the mantle when Paul wrote, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And so there's an imitation that takes place. And guess what, folks? Whether you want to believe it or not, you're imitating something. We're, we're imitating the constant struggle of stuff that gets planted in our minds and in our hearts and we're living it out every single day. And so we're just spitting back whatever it is that we're bringing in. We've got filters that we've got to put things through and when we don't put filters on things, we imitate the world if it's the world that we give most of our attention to. We imitate everything that we do. We are, Look, I, I know I was, you know I was in my 20s one time too. I'm an original. Like I'm... I am the only one of these. Like, that's true. But if you turn around and you really look, you go back and you say, you know what? I dressed the way that I dressed because this band dressed that way. Like, I did that. I, I had a Jinko phase for a long time. Any of you wear Jinkos? Anybody? All right, you're shaking your head, but you're not going to raise your hand. Come on, man. Like, I was that grungy, rock-looking kid because that was the influence that I had, and I imitated what I knew. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's gross now, but... But I love it because, like, I was thinking of Miss Pat this week. If you're not familiar with Miss Pat, Miss Pat moved away recently um, to live in the, the U.S. Virgin Islands. But she was a, a, a heart in this house like, like no other. And uh, there's something that she would say. She would always refer to God as Papa, but she would also call Him Holy. But she didn't say God and she didn't say those types of terms. She made it very intimate when she spoke. And when I was, when I was looking at what Peter writes here, it, it says be holy. It's not a characteristic. It's be, be God. Be holy. So if Miss Pat was standing here telling you that, be holy. Be an imitator of who God is, the very character and creation. Look, I, I'm not going to go into the characteristics because Ephesians 5 and 6 is a beautiful place for you to go look for yourself. And I encourage you to do that. Look at Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 of what Paul
Paul writes as the character traits of believers. It's dealing with relationships. It's dealing with some of the worldly desires that we deal with on a regular basis. And he just gives a road map beautifully. Here's where you start. Here's where your relationship should be. Here's how you should treat your wife. And here's how you should treat your husband. Here's how your, your family relationship should be. Here's how your relationship with people that don't look like you should be. Here's how your relationship with yourself should be. Because if we're not healthy and whole, we're not going to be healthy and whole in our relationships. So he says, be imitators of Christ. But, but Peter even makes it more clear in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And he says, he says, all of you have unity of mind. Have sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And it goes on, he says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So there is absolutely clearly defined a distinctive difference between the values that we have and the values that the world has. So this is what I want to do today. I'm not going to go through and we're not going to dissect every single value biblically because there is not enough time in the world to do it. I want to show you two things that I believe that Peter points out throughout this letter that are the keys and the function to why we make the decisions that we do. And I want to show you the world's picture of it, and I want to show you what God's picture of it looks like. So it's two simple things. The, the culture that we live in, we're supposed to be interested in our own happiness. So everything that we do is put through a filter of happiness. And, and we know that the Bible speaks of joy and, and, and that, but joy is not rooted in an emotion. Joy is rooted in a truth. It's something that can be external to us that we have to fight for. Happiness is something that we're supposed to just keep trying to heap on ourselves so that we feel good all the time. And if, if, if you're really honest, that's what our culture today is constantly telling everybody. So the question then becomes, what happens when your happiness infringes upon my happiness? We both can't be happy at the same time. So it's going to defeat itself when we're constantly trying to pursue happiness. You know why we constantly pursue it? Because the devil knows that we can never have it. Because there's no place to find happiness emotionally if we don't have joy spiritually. So if we don't go back to the source, we're never going to find happy. We're pursuing the wrong thing. So the culture keeps us chasing our tails, trying to figure out how to be happy. And what, is it, what does it look like? We change jobs all the time. I'm not happy in this one. I'm going to move to this one. You know, my marriage isn't any good. I can walk away. That's the happiness culture that we live in. If it's hard, it must not be God's will, even in the church. And when we create a theology of studying God and understanding how God is, is trying to interact with His people and we put God through the filter of happiness, we then come back and say, well, God must not love me because I'm not happy. And it's not true. It's just not true. It, it, it's, it's because we put God in a place where He exists to serve us. The reality of Scripture says that we exist to serve Him. 
And so the culture tells us that we need to be interested in our happiness, but the godly value and opposite of this is we need to be interested in our holiness. We need to be interested in our holiness. We've got to, we've got to change the narrative in our own minds and our own hearts to understand that we are not people that pursue happiness. We pursue God. We don't pursue ha- holiness. We pursue the person who is holy, not not the external factors that we measure up holiness with. Because if we do that, we're no different than the religious leaders in the Bible. We're not pursuing holiness. We're pursuing God because God is holy. And so, in, go back to 1 Peter 1.14. He says, You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. And I mentioned just a minute ago, Ephesians 5 and 6, it clearly states in, in chapter 5, it says these are improper for God's holy people. And then it goes on and says, if you're doing all this stuff, it's not right. So, like, it, it's one of those things, like, I, I think about raising kids, which I'm... We're managing. Uh, <laughs> we're trying. Uh but you think about it when you're raising kids, you want to give them the freedom to explore life, but you also want to put some boundaries on there so that they don't hurt themselves. It's not so much that you don't want them to experience certain things, but you know because of life and their experiences that you've already faced that if they start trying to reach through these boundaries, that it's going to hurt them. It's not going to be any good. And, and when we don't have those boundaries, just like Scripture tells us, then everything is open, and when we start going back to that happiness theology, we find out that I can chase sexual desires, and I'm still not going to be happy. I can chase money, and I'm still not going to be happy. I can chase relationships. I can chase jobs. I can chase cars. I can chase everything in this world. I can build a family apart from God and still be miserable. Because I've tried to put these things in place where God says, I'm not trying. I want you to be happy. But you've got to do it the right way. If you don't do it the right way, you're going to continue to pursue and you're never, ever, ever, ever going to get there. Because God is interested in us pursuing Him because He is holy. The other thing that the culture tells us is that we're a reflection of each other. And what I mean by that is is that you look across the aisle and you say, well, so-and-so's got this vehicle. I want one of those. Or, well, crap, they've got this nice house and I don't have that. Or, God must not love me as much as God loves them because they've got this and I don't have that. Or sometimes it's, it's just an internal thing where we're like, we don't really like who we are. Why, why would God love somebody like me? I don't deserve that. You know, there's a truth to that but not a self-defeating truth to that. Because, because we, we've got to start in a humble place, but not a self-deprecating place. And, and so it's still, we're just reflecting on others. We, we look and we sit in churches with people and we say, well, I can understand why, they, why God loves this person because they got it cleaned up and they got it figured out. Well, you don't know what disaster is going on at home because you don't see it. Or you sit across and you say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Yeah. Yeah, you are. But it's what the culture wants us to do. We're constantly a reflection of each other. We're constantly, we're constantly falling into this, this common plague of comparing ourselves to other people. Other people's family situations, other people's job situations. If God would do this, then this would get better. 
We're not a reflection of each other. As a matter of fact, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, he says, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So stop looking at everybody else's highlight reel and playing your pain on top of it. Or stop looking at yourself and saying, you know what, I'm not worthy. Because you're going to fade away, but you need to remember the truth of this. If he's interested in, in my holiness, the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm not going to stand forever. I'm going to stand forever based on the basis and premise that Jesus Christ saved me. That's the only eternal value that I have. I'm going to wither and die in this world. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And so godly values, we're not a reflection of each other. We're a reflection of Christ. You notice that in this, the culture, just it's just a little off. Like there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy, is there? Everybody wants to be happy. Nothing wrong with being happy. There's nothing wrong with looking at somebody else that's in a similar situation to you and learning something from them to make yourself better. But the problem is, is that we take that and the enemy turns it just a little bit more to make us feel like we don't measure up, to make us feel like we're better than somebody else, to make us not a reflection of Christ, but try to reflect each other. And what we end up doing is deflecting so much. And, and it says in 1 Peter, uh, it's in chapter 1, verse 18, it says, knowing that you were ransomed from feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Look, don't even look back to your forefathers. Like, stop comparing yourself to that situation. He says, knowing that you were even ransomed from that, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. There's those things, man, they, he's, he's got this nice car and he's got, look at their house, man. Look at what they're doing. Man, they're going on vacation. They're doing it. We can't do any of that. Look at all this stuff. It says, we have been redeemed. We have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Blood is more valuable than gold. You, you want me to prove it to you? Think of your most loved person in your life. Would you rather lose them or lose all the possessions in this world? And Christ said, I'm going to give myself up for you because you're more precious than gold. And so the reflection that we're supposed to be reflecting is the very image of Christ. It says, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So now that we understand, and listen, this is not an exhaustive way that the culture does. I'm just giving you two ways from 1 Peter that the culture tries to shift what we're trying to reflect. And so in order for us to have godly values, I think there's three things that we need to do individually. I always like to give you some practical things that you can walk away with today. And I think that these three things are paramount to anything in our walk with Christ. And the first thing is, number one, you have to take responsibility for your own actions. If you want to reflect Christ, if you want to stop doing all this chasing happiness stuff, then you've got to realize that sin has taken root in your life. Like, there's no way to avoid that. There is not, I mean, there, there is not a single person. Jesus even addressed it when, when they, were, they were screaming and hollering for him to throw stones at a woman. And what did he tell them? Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And even that group, that group of religious people in that moment could not pick up a stone. 
they took personal responsibility. Now, did they get anywhere with it? No. But even that group could take personal responsibility and say, you know what? I can't say that I'm without sin. So we've got to get to a point in our lives where we realize that we are not without sin. That we are going to constantly fail. But the difference between failing and staying down is failing, getting your tail back up, and continuing to rely fully on the grace of God. Because Peter's already addressed it. It's why he says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And self-control is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 tell us what the fruits of the Spirit are. It's love first, then it's joy, then it's peace, then it's patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. It's possible for us to take responsibility. The writer of Proverbs even tells us a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's not beyond the ability of the Spirit of the living God for us to have self-control. The problem is we won't take responsibility for our own stuff. We won't. I, this is... This is how the world deals with it. You're addicted to something? Well, we're going to blame the world for the addiction. What do we do? If you're an alcoholic, we blame the world. So we make it illegal to drink at a certain age. I mean, I'm not against limiting alcohol consumption. But it starts because we didn't take personal responsibility. We knew that we had an issue. We didn't take personal responsibility. By the time you dive deep into that thing, it's almost impossible for you alone to get out. It's because we don't take the personal responsibility. In order to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you must have the Spirit of the living God in you. And the only way to have that is to recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you've got to humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And you've got to do it every single day. Not just one time in your life and say, well, I got this figured out. Let's move on to the next thing. Because you find out life still sucks sometimes. It's still hard. The kids don't do right. Sometimes the wife gets on your nerves. Sometimes the husband gets on your nerves. Sometimes the co-workers get on your nerves. Sometimes the car breaks down. Sometimes there's expenses that you can't handle because you don't have the money. And you've got to go back and you've got to say, okay, Lord, I don't know why, but I'm going to trust who. We've got to be people that, that take personal responsibility. That's the only way to be different, to have different values in a culture that blames everybody else. It's everybody else's fault in the culture. It's not. We've got to take personal responsibility. Stop worrying about what this person did or didn't do and worry about what you're supposed to be doing. Take personal responsibility. The second thing is this. We've got to accept accountability when needed. We can get to the point where we'll say, yeah, I know that's a sin. But we get comfortable with that sin and we keep going back to that sin and then we have a brother or sister that come up and say, brother or sister, I love you, but you've got to do something about this. What can I do to help you? And let me tell you, I, I wrote a post about this on Facebook uh, last week. Uh, how, I, how I thank God for judgmental Christians. Because that's just the, the blanket term nowadays. Is every, if, if you disagree with somebody biblically, you're judgmental. And I just, I just said, I thank God for judgmental Christians, and I'll tell you my story. We were in a place in life where I was just, I enjoyed what I was doing and was mad at God. 
and just said, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. And you know what God did? He was faithful to take care of my family while I was an idiot. And he sent a guy into my life whom some of you have met. He's preached in this church a couple of times. He's family to us, but he's, he's also more of a spiritual father to me. He shows up at our house like unexpected, he and his wife, and we just you know, invited him in, had a conversation, all that good stuff. And right before he got ready to leave, like we ain't talked about nothing like of importance, he just stopped and he said, when are you going to get up off your butt and do what God's, you know God's told you to do? And you know what I was in that moment? I was what exactly you would be. I was offended. I thought of comeback after comeback. I didn't say anything in the moment. But I thought of comeback after comeback after comeback. And you know what? Today, if he hadn't done that, I wouldn't be standing here. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for you. <laughs> but I wouldn't be where I know God's got me supposed to be. So sometimes we have, we have people in our lives for a reason. And, and, and Jesus talked about this in, in Matthew 12. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let me tell you something. I love Jesus more than anything, but I don't want to stand on that day and be condemned because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I would rather somebody walk into my life that I trust relationally and speak a harsh truth to me that's going to save me from that day. Because I don't want to stand there and not be prepared to stand before the Lord. So when somebody comes to you, you've got, you've got to be discerning about what their motivation is for telling you something. Because sometimes people are going to say things that they just want to let you know that they know that you ain't doing something right. And they got no love for you. And even if they're right, you know what you do? You take it in, you pray over it, and you move on. Because it doesn't matter what their intentions are. It matters what God's trying to do with every single moment of every single day of your life. And instead of being held accountable at the last moment where we may be standing condemned, we've got to let brothers and sisters speak life into us. It's the reason that passages in Scripture like Proverbs 27, 17 say, as iron sharpens iron. That's a difficult process. That's a, if, if you're a piece of iron and you have feelings, that hurts. Because you're getting some, you're getting all that bad edge flaked off, so where it's smooth and can cut through butter again, it hurts. James five sixteen tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. Galatians chapter six verses one through five, it actually says, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual, guess who that is? Every one of us who have Christ. It's not just some church leadership position. It's all of us who are in Christ. We're accountable to one another. You, our spiritual, should restore them in a spirit of gentleness so that we don't fall under condemnation when we do finally stand at that moment. So we've got to take personal responsibility. And we've got to take and accept the opportunities that people do bring things to us for accountability. And the third thing and the most important thing is this. We have got to trust God fully. If we're going to take responsibility for sin and we're going to let people speak into our lives, it's because we trust God more than we trust anything else. Because I, I go back to what Peter said in, in verses 24 and 25, that all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. It's going to wither and the flowers are going to fall. So me, you, we're going to fail. You and I, even in our attempts to do something right, we're still going to mess up. 
That's why you got to trust God fully. If you don't trust God fully, the word of the Lord is going to be what you think has failed. And it's not. You've got to trust Him fully. The writer of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And then I go back to where we started this morning in 1 Peter 1.15. It says, But as He who called you is holy, you be holy in all your conduct. You want to get to that point? You want to chase and pursue holiness? Pursue God. Take responsibility for your sin. Put your trust in God. Let people speak life into you. If they're not speaking life into you, let it come in this ear and go out the other. I know that's hard because we like we filter all of it so we can stew on it. Because we all like a good stew in the crock pot. <laughs> we, but we, we do that. We do that. Our values change as we make the decision to be different. And it is a decision. It is a decision. And the decision that we have to make is, are we going to trust that God's Word is going to stand the test of time? Folks, it was written thousands of years ago. It's been criticized. It's been marked for years as being false. Now let me ask you something. Where else can you find Jesus? Where else can you find the truth of God's Word? He wrote it. He used men and women just like me and you appointed at a particular time in a particular place to put this together so that He could find His way to you right now. And so the decision that we have to make, are we going to make the decision to be different? And I just want to close with a passage from Second Peter. I, just, I, just, I want to read this to you. I'm not going to expound upon this or anything, but I just want you to see this. It says, Do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. That is the definition of being different in a culture that is constantly pushing unholy values on us and our families. And the only way to break that curse is for us to be found by Him without spot or blemish. And we've got to trust Him and take Him at His Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in McComb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at RadianceMacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.